Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. This is a special bonus episode. We're our, we are talking about the law tonight. We've been going through in Crucial Conversations. Crucial Conversations? Yeah, I'm forgetting the name of the show already. Uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is off to a fantastic start. Teaching um, you to think like a confessor. And, but not speak like one. I can't speak at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I rubbed off on you. <laughs> We're not navel-gazing yet. Woo! We're okay. Navel-gazing. All right. So we, are, we have been talking about the Ten Commandments and the large catechism. But what we have not done, uh, Pastor Peter Ill, who is with us tonight, pointed out, is we haven't really talked about the law itself and what the law is in, any, in, in a specific concerted effort to define it, to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. This is a much more informal, not that... Crucial Conversations has been really that formal uh, to begin with, but a much more informal kind of show. It's a roundtable discussion. We may interrupt each other. We may disagree with each other as well, and that's totally fine because when we disagree with each other, we will work through it and try and talk through some of these things, which can be simple, they can be complicated, they can be very clear and obvious, and they can be very nuanced. And in, in all of this, our goal is to really help explain what the law is because if you don't get the law right your your gospel's going to be off as well and so that's that's how we're going to start joining me tonight we have pastor peter ill trinity lutheran in millstadt illinois we have pastor steve andrews of saint matthew yep yay woo! i remembered that one saint matthew in lee summit missouri and we have the naval gazer himself pastor timothy roth <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, in Humboldt, Kansas. I forgot what your church name was. What was your church name again? Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. Are you being serious? I actually am. <laughs> Which the, well, I mean, it's St. Peter's. I can understand why Peter would be a forgetful There name. it is. Well, I'm distracted by the heresy on the wall behind you. That is beautiful. I can't deal with that. That's just that beautiful. Oh, so bad. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Cubs fan. I just have to put that out there. So... The law. Pastor Ill, how about you start us off? I'm going to jump over and read everybody over in our comments section. If you are watching right now live on YouTube, please ask questions. We're going to be covering a lot. We may go through it fast. We may go through it slow, but I guarantee you, you're going to have some questions. So feel free to post them over there. Um, information is down in the description for like the Grokmoot where we talk about a lot of this stuff. You can subscribe, all that great stuff, social media. It's all in the description. Just read it. Also, I, I get the pastors and their churches right in the description, too. <laughs> so I at least put it down there. But Pastor Ill, start us off. Let's get this conversation going. So when we talk about the law, it's really important because, like you said before, Peter, if we don't start to get the law right, then we don't get the gospel right. Uh, a theologian with awesome, like, mutton chops uh, who lived about 150 years ago uh, said his name was CFW, Ferdy for short. Our, our buddy Ferdy Walther said that if you don't preach the law in its full severity, you also can't preach the law, the gospel in its full sweetness. And there are about 101 different ways that Christians try to uh, shortcut and short circuit the law. And we try to take the, take the teeth and the gums out of it. Uh, 
because frankly, the law is scary. And the law, like St. Paul says, is a good thing, but that doesn't mean that it's a comfortable thing. The law comes to kill. And Galatians 3 talks about how we are enslaved to the law, and we are under the law until Christ claims us as his own, and we die. There's nothing nice and nothing pretty about that at all. It is terrible, rough, hard news. Um, one of the ways that we try to uh, mess with the law is we try to make it manageable. And so we kind of go back and ask the Eve in the Garden of Eden question, did God really say? And we start to nitpick the law and look for the loopholes. And every time we find a loophole, we try to drive a Mack truck through it and think that we're just going to be okay. <laughs> on the flip side, on the flip side, though, there's the idea that we can actually do the law. And there's this idea that, that the law is attainable. And, and this might be a little bit controversial, and hopefully some, some people are going to start to scratch their heads, but there's this idea that runs around that, that the reason God gave us the gospel uh, in Jesus Christ is because it became clear that we couldn't keep the law. Uh, I really, I'm not sure how helpful it is to say it that way. I think that we might be better off simply to say we could never keep the law, and the whole point of the law isn't to try to do it, but to drive us to Christ and to drive us to our knees and to repentance, to recognize that the law is the stumbling block that we trip over, and we are done. Uh, and I think that that's kind of a helpful place to start. Um, if I know that this is a more informal, free-flowing conversation, but one other thing that uh, I'd kind of like to put out there is sometimes we talk about the three different ways that the law works, or the three different ways that the law is, um, but there's two, three different ways. And so I just want to go ahead and lay them out. Otherwise, we're going to get really confused really fast. Yeah, terminology is helpful. Yeah. So first, first are the functions of the law or the ways that the law works. Um, some people will call that the uses of the law. Um, I don't like the word uses because it gives the impression that preachers and pastors and Christians can decide how the law is going to work on each Christian. And I don't buy it. Uh, personally. I can't control the law. The law comes and it does what it does. It communicates God's holiness that we are called into, and there's no controlling that. Um, but there are three ways that it works. First, to stop uh, gross or manifest or sin that everybody can agree is sin. For example, everybody knows axe murder is wrong. Everybody knows bank robbery is wrong. Most world cultures recognize that adultery and sexual infidelity is wrong. They may not care, but they recognize that there's something off and shameful about it. Um, the second way that the law works is to do that very thing of driving us to repentance and showing us the severity and the depth of our sins. Lutherans are really good about talking about this one. And then the third kind, um, which is one that we're, we arm wrestle about a little bit, is it it is the law that shows us what holiness looks like and that shows what a Christian life looks like in the world. And so where the, that first function talks about the law for everybody, the third function is all about the law for Christians of what that holy life looks like. Then there's the distinct, uh, actually, let's hold off on that second batch of three because I've been talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so yeah, this is part of the informal part. Uh, Pastor Roth, Pastor Andrews, you guys have anything you want to add to that? I mean, this for for Lutherans, especially pastors. I mean, this is 
your first year in seminary or pre-sem. I mean, this is um, basic stuff. And yet it's surprising how off we can get and how quickly we can get into arguments even about this. So, and anything you guys want to add to this as we get going here? I'll throw out a couple of things. I'd like to pick up on the Walther quote. I think that's a it's a helpful way for us to remember and think about the law itself, that if we weaken the law in any way, we're actually weakening the gospel right alongside of it. So to remove the law entirely, as some groups do, is actually to remove the cross of Christ entirely as well. If there's nothing that we've done to, to sin, then there is nothing needing forgiveness. And Christ's death is then in vain. It, it means nothing. Uh, so we don't want to do that on that hand. But then at the other side of it too, something for us to keep in mind probably is that the law, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure tonight, the law kills, but the law itself isn't the problem. The law is God's will for us. You know, the, the if we walk through the commandments, for example, as, as Peter mentioned, the commandment about murder, uh, that's a good one. You know, it's God's will that we don't run around killing each other. It's God's will that we don't despise and hate one another. That's that's a good thing. Uh, the problem is, is we fail to do it. We can't do it. Um, and that's that's where the law then kills us. And as Peter pointed out, points us to our need for our Savior and helps us to know what Christ has actually done for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, can I interrupt for a second? And with- It's a conversation. You don't have to oh. ask. Just go. <laughs> All right. I'm going to interrupt for a minute um, because I have, I have Bible that fits here. Um, Romans 7 talks this way. Um, and Romans 7 starts in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet If the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I think that line about the, the commandment being holy and righteous and good is really important. A lot of times we want to think law equals bad or law equals terrible, law equals bad news. But Paul is clear the law is a good thing. This, I, th- I think the struggle... <laughs> that we have in this as human beings is this, it's a struggle of the will. Um, we, we look at the law as bad as sinful human beings because, well, that's not what I want to do. I mean, it, the, while, while I might recognize, you know, murder is bad, hating my neighbor is bad, you know, anger at my neighbor is bad. The reality is when my neighbor has wronged me, I, I want to be mad at him. I, I want to be angry. I, I want to be able to lash out. And I want to be justified in that when I stub my toe and that flash of anger and pain that comes that causes me to just blah, whatever, what, whatever comes out of my mouth, I want to be able to just 
do that. And so it's, it's uh, this, this is why Paul finds it necessary, I believe, to say, no, 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 the law is good and holy because it's actually going against my will. And that's really where the struggle is. We've been talking, you know, when you break a commandment, you're always breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Well, this is kind of how I've begun processing. What does that actually mean? And in our society, I am God. I'm, I'm the authority. It's my will that matters, not God's will. Um, comment on that. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, you, you specifically said that it's in our society, but uh, I mean, that is who have we been, who we've, I still can't talk, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> who we've been <laughs> since uh, our fall. Um, we have always placed ourselves in, in the spot of God and wanted to uh, define for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Um, I mean, you nailed that, Peter, of we want to be able to justify ourselves. And the only way we can justify ourselves is through the law. We want to be able to say, hey, it is okay for me to be able to be mad at my neighbor because they did X, Y, or Z. But we fail to realize, even though scripture warns us over and over, that when we do that, when we wield the law in such a way, um, we're condemning even ourselves when we do it because we also do uh, X, Y, and Z. Um, but there's something I, I wanted to go back a little bit. Uh, so that's a great thing of the informal conversation of this. We're going to circle around and probably say the same things multiple times. And that's great um, because the, the way we, the way these topics work, you kind of need to keep coming back and coming back and we'll say it differently, a little bit different each time, but yeah, don't worry about like, Oh, we already talked about that. We need to move on. No, no, it's keep circling. This okay. is, this is tough. So, go ahead. So rewind, rewind. Um, you know, for first point I have, I'm um, going back to Walter. Uh, not only does he, does he talk about the necessity of properly distinguishing law and gospel, and we've got to preach both, uh, but he also talks about the fact that this isn't an exact science and it is not something that we will be able to master in this life. Um, it's, it's something that even as pastors, we will struggle with until Christ comes again. Um, because, Sin is is part of who we are uh, in this fallen life, and and as you said again, Peter, we always try to just ourselves, justify ourselves, and in order to do that, we have to fall back to the law. Um, but then the second point that I wanted to to go back to um, was what Pastor Ill was talking about: how uh, God didn't necessarily give us the law to keep, uh, but to point us to Christ, um, and we have in Revelation. Uh, this question was asked in the Grokmoot not long ago about uh, Christ being slain before the foundation of the world. What does that even mean? Well, there's the question of if we were given the law to keep and in theory could have observed the law and kept the law and therefore not fallen into sin, then why was Christ slain from the foundation of the world? Um, it's... It, and even going to the question of uh, God's hidden will, which we don't want to talk about because we don't know God's hidden will, but yet we know all things happen according to God's will. So then the scary question becomes, well, then how are we able to fall into sin in the first place? Um, and I'm not going to venture into that too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, God's, God's wanna... foreknowledge. Yeah. So, so 
we we run into real trouble when we start to try to argue that uh no the the law was given to us to do and to keep uh because again how can you say christ was slain before the foundation of the world that god had this foreknowledge yet uh we believe it's possible that this never had to have come about now that's actually going to come up this whole law was given to keep this is going to come up several times because as we're having this conversation, there will be points where we actually say, you're a Christian. You are baptized into Christ. You are dead to sin. Why are you doing that? Stop doing that thing, <laughs> whatever the, the thing is. And so it's important at the front, I'm glad you brought this up to say, it was never given as the means of attaining righteousness as if you kept it, which is, when you read the Old Testament wrongly, that's what you think God was doing with the Jews, that he gave them a to-do list, and as long as they did that to-do list, they would be fine. Um, feel free to correct me if I'm if misrepresenting this at any point. I mean, that's part no, of the but, show as we're talking through, but that, that misconception, and then that flows over into even today where, well, if you're a Christian— you will do this. And if you don't do this thing, then you're not a Christian. There are ways to talk about sin, but we have to be very careful because it's so easy to just kind of well, go even, back into that. You know, Peter, like you were just saying, even going back into the Old Testament and looking at the law given to Moses um, and, and that faulty thinking of saying, oh, well, they were given it to keep. Yet, even at the same time, we know the reason it was given to them was to give us a clear testimony to the coming of Christ, who Christ was. So even then the giving of the law to Moses was to point us to Christ was to draw us to Christ. Um, you know, cause we can get into, and, and I know pastor Ilden get into this three distinction. I think this is the second distinction he's talking about is the whole moral, civil and ceremonial, um, but even Which when you we're going to say is useless and pointless. So we'll just get that out there right now. Hold on. I don't want to thumbs up too aggressively too soon. <laughs> um, not necessarily helpful. I'll agree with yeah. uh, useless and pointless might be a little bit of an overstatement. Uh, because yes, I could definitely be overstated. Be, because this idea of the, uh, the ceremonial, and the cultural and the moral law, all three elements point us to Christ. And nothing that points us to Christ is useless or pointless. This is true. I will repent of but, my almost heresy or potential. Well, but, <laughs> but here's part of the challenge that we face with, with that distinction is people will say, oh, that's the ceremonial law, or oh, that's the cultural law. We don't need to follow that. Christ has set us free from that, but he hasn't set us free from the moral law. Yeah, or they'll um, say he fulfilled those. Those are fulfilled. Right. But but the second you start separating parts of God's law, how do we know that it's okay to go eat lobster tomorrow, but it's not okay to go axe murder my neighbor, even if I really want to? Um and, and all of a sudden you end up playing fast and loose with motivations and and dividing the law in not helpful ways. Well, the answer that people would give to that that I've heard before is, well, those other ones aren't mentioned in the New Testament, but the moral law 
is. Yeah, so the Ten Commandments, they get reiterated in the New Testament. But, you know, the don't eat shellfish, well, you know, Peter had the you know, sheet drop down, drops down from heaven, take, eat, it's clean. Therefore, that's okay. But the moral law, that is upheld in the New Testament. So, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's where people will go. So they'll, what's they'll wrong with it, that? They'll take it a step further as well. The, the, the civil law of the people was because they were part of a theocracy. God was their king, as he ought to still be, but because of our sinfulness, 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, we demanded our king for ourselves so we could be just like our neighbors. Um, see how that worked out. But God, Keeping up with the Kardashians has apparently yeah. always been a thing. <laughs> always, always. And so even, even then at that, with the theocracy, then the civil law is God's law that he has in place for the people of Israel as his nation. And so as we see that transition um, out of the theocracy, the civil law then also would be starting to disappear and at this point no longer in place. Uh, I've heard that description many times. So here's my question for you pastors then. If that distinction, separating it out in that way, is valid, how much of the law did Jesus actually fulfill? Oh, and I was, yeah, I was going to go to that point. <laughs> when we like separate out the two and say, well, the moral is different then we're saying that Jesus didn't fulfill the moral law. Well, if Jesus didn't fulfill the moral law, I'm still screwed. Yeah. yeah that's the one that we know for certain. <laughs> We've broken right. the first. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think it's still fair to say whether you try to use those distinctions or not, that indeed we, uh, we see that Christ fulfilled all of it, uh, all of the law, as the New Testament very clearly uh, tells us. Now, I can see this. This, How does this help us? Here's, here's where this always comes up. Well, you know, the homosexuality thing, that was actually about hospitality or, or back a little bit. Homosexuality is okay. Right. Sodom and not being and, hospitable. Yeah, not, not being hospitable. I mean, that's one of the things. But it's always brought up in that context where you say it, the actual application of this ends up in a place where, as we're trying to actually use this distinction in a useful way, we use it in a way that still makes it sound like one's fulfilled and one's not. And, well, that... You can have mixed cloths. That doesn't matter if you do your cotton and polyester blend. That's okay now. And, you know, shrimp is fine. Lobster is fine. Um, it's, it, it seems like, Pastor Ill, you were saying it's, it's not as helpful. So why do we keep – what's the problem with running to it in those situations? Then? When we end up running to it, we, we end up – with really good intentions saying Jesus only fulfilled part of the law. And we take some of the teeth out of the law by, by saying Jesus fulfills this part, but not that part. So I'm still required to do the moral law. That part wasn't fulfilled by Jesus completely or something. Um, that's not helpful. Uh, no, Jesus completed the moral law and the moral law, the whole point of it is you can't do it. And so you need to repent. You are a poor, miserable, damnable sinner, and you need to repent. And that 
and it sounds terrible and it, it hurts even for me to say it and hopefully for anybody to hear it too, but it's true. But then if we are able to, to get out from under some of the other law, we're able to say, why did, why did God command the people not to wear uh, mixed fibers? Or why did God command them not to eat shellfish? Well, he set them apart. He made them different. He makes us different too, but he doesn't make us different uh, by the shellfish. He doesn't make us different by the clothes that we wear. He makes us different because we are clothed with Christ, the grace of the Messiah, and we have been filled and completed with his holiness. And so we are different in Christ. I think one of the one of the phrases that kind of helps with this is um, to read to always read and understand the law on the other side of the cross. And that phrase, on the other side of the cross, is really a, you got to give it a second, because it's not yeah, necessarily. I, I started drawing a little diagram that we can fill in, because I knew we were going to use this. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, but when we start to talk about on the other side of the cross, it's not chronological. It's not something that's fixed in time, but it's something that's fixed in perspective and how we understand it. And so if we read the Old Testament, maybe about uh, the sacrifices of the Day of Atonement or about the the fabrics or the shellfish or, or the bacon. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad we, we're good to eat bacon. But all of those laws are to point out ultimately, you are different and you need a Christ who will come and die on a cross. If the Old Testament people got it or not, notwithstanding, we get it. We see that all of this law points us to Christ and the whole law, the moral parts, the ceremonial parts, the civil parts, they all drive us to Jesus. And in Jesus, we say all of the law is fulfilled. Jesus fulfills the moral law. Jesus fulfills the ceremonial law or the, the religious law of the sacrifices. He is both the priest and the sacrifice. Jesus is Israel reduced to one who kept all of the holiness and purity of God, even when he, what, what the Pharisees thought was broke, the kosher laws. And so Jesus comes to fulfill and complete the whole law and to give that completion to all who call on his name. In fact, he gives it even to those who don't call on his name. They just don't believe it. All right, so I'm going to say something. Sorry, pastors, before you all jump in, I'm going to say something to push this a little bit further to help us really get at this, this distinction. There, there, we have a way, well, first of all, we, we tend to ask, as, as Christians and as humans, we tend to ask the wrong questions. So I'll start with that. Here's one of those wrong questions, and then I'll talk about why it's a wrong question. Okay, we just talked about bacon. Is it a sin to eat bacon? We all immediately, well, oh, no, it's not a sin. That's, you know, see, Christ fulfilled that law. It's not a sin. Except the vegans. <laughs> so, but here, here's the problem with that. So if I say, no, it's not a sin to eat bacon. Or, no, just answering the question. It actually doesn't even matter how I answer the question. I say, yes, it's a sin to eat bacon. My natural response will be, oh, well, then in order to not sin, I won't eat bacon. Great, I have kept the law. Or we'll say it, it, it is a sin to eat bacon. Um, and maybe scripture doesn't 
clearly say, or there's there's something in it where it's like it is a Cindy Baker. I'm like, okay, well, um, I'm gonna say that that that's all right. Well, now I'm in despair. What am I gonna do? This is stupid. I love bacon. I can't keep this law. The problem is in both of those scenarios, and the, the second part I didn't do as well, so this is why we're going to keep circling back because I'll figure out what I did wrong just now. <laughs> I've made myself the solution to my sin. Here, here's the problem. Whenever you ask, is it a sin to whatever, you're almost always going to end up in a place where you are the solution to your sin, either by not doing the sin because, hey, if it's if it's a sin, all I have to do is not do it, or by declaring that it isn't a sin and therefore you're okay, go ahead and do it. But in both of those cases, I don't actually need Jesus. And I don't think we necessarily think through this. So if we're talking about, you know, which, which side of the cross are you on? I'm, that's the law side where I have taken the law and I have said, it is the law. It is not the law. I've, I'm the determiner. I'm the arbiter of this thing. And Hey, look, I've solved my problem. And I never even got to the cross. I never even had to go to Jesus in order to solve my problems. So, Pastor Ill, you talked about the other side of the cross. Okay, well, what does it look like if I ask my, the better questions on the other side of the cross? But first, push back on that. You know, force me to clarify if it wasn't clear. Who wants to tear me apart first? What do you even say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, well, maybe a little pushback here. Yeah, go ahead, please. Not, not to imagine our own perspective, but to, to look at this from a different perspective. The angels in heaven that God has created, uh, they have to also follow God's will. He has tasks for them to do. Um, some chose to rebel, which we can read about in various parts of the scripture, including Revelation. Um, but for those who do the, the, the work that he has given them to do, it isn't that they don't need Jesus, they still need Jesus, and they still look to and worship Jesus as their Lord and King, and they sing him songs eternally, um, or everlastingly, uh, however you want to phrase that. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see your point on the one hand of us trying to justify ourselves with the questions about, you know, is this a sin, or is this a sin, and, and we, we do do that without a doubt, but I don't think that for a Christian to want to keep parts of the law uh, or the whole of the law is to say that they are rejecting Jesus as their savior, but rather this is what God has given me to do. Mm -hmm. And so I should do it. I'm going to try and I know I'm not going to make it. And so I'm, I'm going to worship Jesus regardless of whether I am, am decent or failing all the time. <laughs> And Steve, you just turned the corner and you went to the other side of the cross. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure you recognized that you, that you made the jump, but I, but you did. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And because what you said is I am a Christian and if I can do it or not, this is who Christ has made me to be. And this is what Christ has called me to do. And this is what Christ strengthens me to do. And where has he done all of that on the cross? And so, uh, what you just articulated was what Peter was waiting to say until after you pushed back. <laughs> um, 
Well, you're, I'm happy. You're welcome. Happy with you guys going there first. That's I don't yeah. have a problem with that. <laughs> well, but I think that's a really good way to go about it. And Steve, I love what, everything you just said. Yeah, Pastor Roth. Well, I was gonna say. Um, being on the one side of the cross too, where, uh, you know, Peter, where you're talking about, uh, when we talk about sin, it's, we're kind of the solution. Um, the other thing that I noticed as you were talking about it is it completely ignores, which I think we often do original sin. Um, in a sense, it doesn't matter what you do because it's, you are a sinful being. Um, so we can't ignore original sin on my own, anything I do is tainted with sin um, because I am a sinner. You know, I, that whole phrase, I sin because I'm a sinner, not I'm a sinner because I sin. Uh, But taking this to scripture, uh, I have three verses. Excellent. We like scripture on the, on crucial. Do it. There you go. So, so this kind of, you know, gets at the whole conversation we're having earlier about the distinctions and does it really matter? Um, So in Colossians chapter two, starting at verse 16, uh, it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going in on detail about visions puffed up with without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, Referring to the things that that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. And with that, uh, going to, to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse one, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. Uh, basically getting to the point of uh, the law was good, but it was a shadow of the reality of Christ. Um, And the reason things are set aside are not because, oh, well, they're fulfilled in Christ, so we don't have to worry about the ceremonial and civil laws anymore. It's because those were but a shadow. They their function was to point us to Christ. Um, and now that Christ has come and we have a baptism and we have the realities of baptism, we're not going to submit ourselves to circumcision anymore because baptism is by far greater. So why would we go back uh, when we now have Christ? Why would we go to the things that point to Christ when we now have the fullness of Christ dwelling with us? Um, so and is, then, is the law different now? It's, it almost sounds like you're saying there's something, but the law itself is different. It's, it, I will say, and I don't think that's where you're going with it. I would say it's almost, it's, it's as if we're in a new I, I got covenant this question from- or a new okay, Testament. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
What'd you I got think? this question from the I got this question from comments. I'm not going anywhere with oh. it. This is a yeah. <laughs> well, uh, where are let those me, comments? Good heavens. Let me get let me get to the third. <laughs> let me get to the third verse, which came up in the lectionary not long ago. Um, when we were talking about you know Jesus, when he says he's the true vine, he says, "Oh, where is this verse?" Uh, oh, I did this the other night. John. 15. Oh, here it is. Uh, no, and yeah, in John fifteen fifteen, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Uh, before, in the old covenant. We were servants because we did not know what the ultimate will of God was, uh, that it was pointing to Christ because Christ had not yet come for them to know. But now that Christ has come, we are no longer servants in the fact of we know the will of the Father now. Um, it's not that it's different per se. It's the fact of that third use of the, the third function, third effect, whatever, <laughs> however you want to say of the law. Um I am not bound to the law for the law's sake, but because I am a friend of Christ, I stand in a new, dare I say, relationship to the law. Um, I am not under the law as in under its burdens, under its guilt, but now as a friend of Christ, um, as a son of the father, knowing that this is the father's will for me, um, that this is the Father's will for us, how he intended us to live. Uh, the Spirit stirs within me, and I, I want to do that. Um, I want to live in the way that he has called me to live. But in a new relationship now, because I know, uh, you know, a servant, when they transgress the law of their master, they fear punishment. But as a child, as a friend, in this different relationship, when I transgress the law, I know I can go to the Father and beg for mercy because I know his will is to eagerly forgive me because it's been revealed in Christ. That is who I am as a Christian. I am a son of the Father. I am a brother of Christ. I am a fellow heir with him. Um, so a transgression, it's, I, I don't fear punishment in the sense of I know there is forgiveness. Any, do you guys have uh, additional thoughts there? We're, this is starting to get deep, so feel free to, you know, resurface, come back, you know, whatever we need to do. <laughs> All right, I have a question. Actually, no, pa um, Pastor Roth, you had said at the beginning, you know, it's, it's original sin. And, yeah, that, that was one of my thoughts that I forgot to get in there, is that the reason, is it a sin to, is pretty much always going to be the wrong question, is because of the, the original sin, our concupiscence, our curved inwardness, because ultimately that's a question of self-justification. It's a question that leads you to either you want to justify whatever it is you're doing because you like it and you don't want to stop doing it. And so you want to be told, you're okay, go ahead, you're fine. Or you're actually in despair because you're worried this might actually be a sin and I need to stop doing this. This is bad. I need to stop. Um, which once again, that's the position of I'm, I'm the solution to my sin problem. If, if we're going to ask, a, well, okay, here's another trite uh, Lutheran saying, you ask a law question, you get a law answer. Is it a sin 
is, is a law question. The law answer to that is, well, because of your concupiscence, yes, <laughs> the answer is. At which point, I'm in despair. I'm stuck. Okay, well, then everything I'm doing is a sin. It doesn't matter what I do. I stub my toe. Even if I say, praise Jesus, I'm still sinning. And I can't even, like, even in that exclamation where I'm trying to, I'm, I've, I've sinned. There is nothing I can do. That's it. I'm done. I'm Damn. despair. It's it. Game over. Or I try and soften the law. I say, ah, it's either not that bad or it isn't the law at all. I, I mean, this, this is my constant struggle. And this is the, I'm on the wrong side of the cross now. How do we get through that? What, what, where, where are we supposed to go when this happens? Because staying there in either of those positions is not Christian, if I can put it that way. Before we, before we get past it or move to the other side of the cross, I think we actually need to figure out just how bad it is. Peter, yeah. you used a couple of times that word concupiscence. Uh, which is not a word that gets slung around even in like pastoral and theological circles enough. Um, and I think you were defining it kind of as curved in on ourselves and that's pretty good, but I would, I would even go a step farther. The apology of the Augsburg confession refers to it as the inclination to sin. And um, a lot of medieval theologians were talking about it as um, kind of the tinder or the kindling of sin. Um, in other words, the inclinations, the thoughts, the emotions, and everything that you do that, that doesn't appear to be sinful is, because it happens out of a sinful nature, sinful. It's like what Jesus was saying in Mark 7 when he talked about it's not what uh, goes, goes into a man on kosher food uh, that makes a man unclean, but it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean because... Uh, and Jesus doesn't use the word concupiscence, but everything that comes out of the man is messed up by his thoughts, his emotions, his actions, his feelings. Everything that is part of a person is messed up and and by itself can't bring forth anything good. Um, and once you realize how bad it is, you see how quickly then you throw your hands up and you say, not so much uncle, but... Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit deeper and say not only is the concupiscence, it's, it's the curved inward, it's the sin itself, but it's also I love sinning. I actually enjoy this. I, this is the state in which I want to remain and which I want to be. Sin is fun. And if anybody thinks that we don't actually believe that, how many of you would rather watch a movie instead of reading your Bible? That's all you got to ask. All of us, well, not all of us. It depends on the movie, I suppose. But like, <laughs> when it comes down to it, we all have something or many, many things we would rather do than read the Bible. Sitting and reading the Bible is not fun. So this concupiscence is, is so deep that it's also what we love doing. Now, this is where people get mad. <laughs> Understandably so. Because now, 
I've possibly been heard to be saying, if you don't spend all day reading your Bible, well, you might not be a Christian. Or if you don't spend all day praying or meditating on God, like whatever the thing is, you know, but then when, when, when we actually talk about how deep our sin goes, once again, we throw ourselves right back into that before the cross solution. Well, I either need to be doing the thing or I need to stop doing the thing. That's the answer. Pastor uh, Steve, you smiled at me when I said that. What, what went through your head? Which part? <laughs> I, I don't remember. You, you just had a big grin on your face. I was like, oh, he had a thought. What thought was that? <laughs> well, I mean, as, as I'm thinking through this, it's, you know, there's there's so much more to this than even just the entertainment and things that we're talking about. And I was thinking about this in your opening discussion to this whole, whole video tonight. Um, the idea of the commandments, Jesus breaking them down as, as simply saying, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The commandments themselves call on us to be entirely self-sacrificing. Entirely. We live not for me, but I would live my life for all the people around me all the time. Um, I, maybe what I was smiling at with what you said was when you're talking about reading the Bible is the thing you had to do all day, every day. Um, I, I, I was trying to think of a time when anybody in the Bible actually told us to read the Bible. Um, <laughs> and I guess you could go to a couple of the spots like Deuteronomy 6 might be a good example. But um, for See, the even most, in, even in my picking, here's the most righteous thing I could do. Yeah. I picked wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you see, the, the most righteous thing that we can do is to, to love God and love our neighbor. And uh, yeah, the Bible fits into part of that. But lay down your life for another, talking about the things that we want to do or not want to do. How many of us really want to lay down our life for someone else? I'd rather read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just throwing that out there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but we don't even have to talk about the physical sacrifice of actually dying for a loved one or even an enemy. But the simple act of, of saying, okay, I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm going to go help my neighbor uh, build his shed in his backyard that he's having a lot of trouble building by himself. Uh, that's self-sacrifice. And how many of us would, would make that move? Yeah. What this morning I had um, at, at the International Center, there's this wonderful blessing of Daily Chapel um, where we actually get to hear God's word every day. It's, I, I've, I didn't always go, and now I always do, and I really appreciate it. I've grown to appreciate it. And we actually got to have a full divine service today. It was fantastic. And the confession part struck me as something that I think can really help us as we're working through this whole before the cross, after the cross, how do we talk about this in a way? And I realized, wait, we actually do talk about this. Like every single Sunday when we confess our sins, we actually confess what we're talking about here. And actually we confess how to make this move. So that question I ask is where do we go from here when we're stuck? How do we actually make this move? Because we've talked about a sin our, our, we haven't used the phrase yet, but our sin goes so deep that we're dead. I mean, it kills us. I, I, I have not been able to escape my sin in this conversation so far. Like, I'm, I'm stuck with it. 
every time. It's just right there condemning me every time I'm stuck and killed. Um, so the thing about the, the standard confession that I think, I don't know if it's Divine Service 3 or which, which one it is, there are some variations, but I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, which if I have ever offended you, justly deserved your present and eternal punishment. Okay, here's, here's the depth of my sin on, on this side of the cross. You work through, and as you get towards the end, it says, but for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, okay, now we've gotten to the cross in our confession, have mercy on me, forgive me, renew me, so that, now we're getting to the other side, so that because of Christ, because of what he did, so that I may delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your holy name. And what I have found helpful is talking about, this isn't necessarily like a, you must talk about it this way, but it's a theological distinction that's helpful to me. On the one side of the cross, this is that which condemns me, but for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, the other side, God's will, that I may delight in your will. And I think Pastor Andrews, you mentioned that. I know Pastor Ill, you talked about that. So I'm just trying to give us a framework that may, might help us remember this or people who are watching too. But walking that, we do this every Sunday. Here's your confession of how bad you are and what you actually deserve. But for the sake of Christ, not for me trying to fix it by saying it's not a sin or it is a sin and I'm going to stop doing it. Nope, none of those things. For the sake of your son. And as a result of that, I want to delight in your will. I want to walk in your ways to glory of your holy name. I, this, this, I want delight in your will, God's will. <laughs> All right, push, push back on that. And talk a little bit about that, guys. Ooh. Did I just finish the show? No, I? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute, what happened? Sorry, at least half of us are laughing because uh, you you just went and it was awesome. But we had <laughs> we actually had a really good question come in like when you started talking. What oh, does excellent. it mean to lay down your life? And and that is a, a fabulous question. And uh, it reminds me of a really good Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. And I don't agree with everything that Bonhoeffer said. In fact, I don't agree with a lot of things that Bonhoeffer said. But what I do agree with is this. When Christ calls a man to follow him, Christ calls him to come and die. Um, and so we hear those, those callings of deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Those are calls to the other side of the cross, to that gospel side of the cross. Here Jesus has suffered and died on the cross for you, and now you receive that very gift as it strengthens you and empowers you, and that cross is delivered to you in your baptism. In Romans 6, it talks about how uh, all who are uh, crucified with Christ in baptism are also raised with Christ in baptism. And so baptism takes us to the other side of the cross. And it is baptism where we receive the forgiveness of our sins, but also that identity and that holiness of Christ where we are motivated and strengthened to live the Christian life that the law tells us about, but it's the gospel that makes it happen. So to, to answer the, the same question here myself, I would certainly point anybody, any man out there to read the book Man Up by Pastor Hemmer. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but the first parts that I'm in, uh, well done, excellent. 
uh, and just a short summary, he defines what it means to be a man as self-sacrifice, sacrificial giving of ourselves. Um, so when we ask this question, what's it mean to lay down my life? Um, we don't have to go as far as, as the heroes and the veterans. We can, you know, the, the physical act of sacrificing myself so that somebody else might live. Uh, that's, a, that's a worthwhile thing. Uh, it's a good thing when we do that for our neighbor. But it's, the, it's simpler than that. What it means to lay down my life. I think of the garden in the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, as God made Adam and Eve. Um, Adam's job was not to care for Adam. Adam's job was to care for Eve and make sure that her needs were being met. And then in addition to that, care for the creation around them. And it, it works vice versa. Eve's job was not to care for Eve. Her task was to care for her husband and then alongside her husband to care for the creation. And, that, you know, as we get more relationships and there's now 7.6 billion people instead of two, that's a lot more complicated um, than it was then. But <laughs> oh, man, there's a lot of neighbors now. <laughs> there are a lot of neighbors now. But I think that gives us the general picture is, as Peter, as you would describe sin, concupiscence is being pointed inward. You know, lay down my life is calling us out of our sin to what we were created to do, which is to care for the rest of God's creation. So Adam and Eve caring for one another. I care for my wife. I care for uh, the people here in the, the community around me, etc. that we actually would do that. Lay down my life. I forfeit my wants. I forfeit my desires, which is probably a good thing, uh, for, <laughs> for the sake of others. That's that's what how I would answer that question. Well, I'm going, uh, you know, again, I love going back to the lectionary because it's what's in my mind. Um, but not too long ago, again, we had an electionary from 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is, his, is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Um, so going along with that, you know, we're speaking of the law. How do we know when we're laying down our life? Uh, what does it mean? What does it look to practically in our lives, lay down our lives for our neighbor? Um, while it's as the Christian, as the new man, as the spirit is living within me, it's simply obeying God's law, um, knowing that this is his will. Uh, for us to give us life and so therefore to look for another uh, to look towards the other to do exactly as pastor andrews was saying um, to serve in whatever capacity we are called to in the context of that moment for the betterment of others um, so it's really hard to kind of pin down well what exactly does that look like um because it's so contextual and you brought up Definitely. and yeah, and you brought up in Genesis and I was just thinking, you know, I never thought about this. What would it have looked like after they fell into the sin um, for Adam to lay down his life? It would have been something along this lines of him not saying it was the woman that you gave me. Um, <laughs> it would have been him saying, I failed. 
I, you gave me one thing to do. You had put one job. It. You had one job. Um, I mean, even even that, just confessing the fact of God, I failed you, and I failed, I failed Eve. Um, yeah, it, that's. I hope that answers. <laughs> Um, here, here's the, the, the difficulty with a lot of these questions is I, I find my will in conflict with what I know God's will says. Um, oh, I, I'm not even sure where to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, Peter yeah. and guys. Are we still under the law? <laughs> Galatians 4, the law Who are we? our guardian. Um, and until when? Until Christ comes. Yeah. So in case you missed that, the answer is no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if we're not under the law, how do I control people? Why I mean, do you what? How do I control people? If we're not under the law, how do wrong, I make sure... Going back to that whole wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a wrong question. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> a wrong but, question. But, but we ask this a lot. We, we frame it in terms of, I want to preach to you the third use of the law, or I want to <laughs> exhort you... Um, we try and couch it in terms, but what it really means is I want to make you do this thing that I want, that I think you should be doing. I mean, but, if but, I'm honest. But, 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 but here's the problem. This goes back to, to why I don't like the word use of the law. Yep. We try to make the law do things and the law doesn't make anybody do jack. That's the deal. The law comes and all it does is kills and condemns. The law doesn't motivate. The law doesn't encourage. The law doesn't support. The law kills. The law condemns, period. What is it that gives us the holiness? It is the gospel that motivates. It is the gospel that encourages. Um, and so the law illustrates what a Christian life looks like, but you, the law doesn't make you do a Christian life. It is completely, totally, and only the gospel that does these things. Um, and we see what it looks like in the law. But even then, it's a continual process of dying and rising. Um, and it's not complete until Christ comes back. I completely agree with that. <laughs> so can I add something different to this conversation? Yes. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about the, the inevitability of our sin. Um, and I think often sometimes we go to the point where we think, you know, as Peter was talking about, you know, how do we, how do we not commit sin? What's the right decision or whatnot? Uh, but the reality is we're so steep and steeped in sin um, that most often the question isn't what is the right way? What is the wrong way? More often, in fact, I would probably say all the time, the question is usually, what is the lesser of two evils? Um, what is the lesser sin? Uh, you know, an easy example of this is a, a wife or a husband 
don't want to be sexist here, a wife or a husband caught in a, an abusive relationship. Um, what is the, what is the answer? Should she or he leave that relationship knowing that it is not God pleasing to um, shatter a marital union or should she continue allowing her or his uh, spouse to, to beat them and, and potentially kill them one day. Um, and not that I'm advocating for divorce or anything, but more often than not, uh, the answer is whatever you choose is going to be sin. So if she or he leaves the marriage um, for the sake of their own general well-being and safety, and you can add kids and make this as complicated as you want to try to justify it, um, even though in a completely human rationalistic understanding, we'd say we'd understand, yeah, why would that person want to stay in such an abusive relationship where they have to fear for their lives every day? Uh, the reality is even in, re in leaving that relationship, there is still sin and that sin should be repented of. Um, we should never ever go through a single day saying, oh, well, I didn't really commit sin or this decision was good. And I realize I'm talking with my hands a lot and you're only seeing the top half of my hands. Um, <laughs> the podcast isn't seeing anything at all. Well, there you, that's true. Hi, uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality that we live in is every single decision we make, uh, sin is part of it. We cannot escape sin on our own. But if we're yeah. talking about that particular scenario, another way to put it is nothing that's going on in that scenario is God's will. The, the right. abuse is not God's will. The divorce that may result from that is not God's will. The, right. the breaking of that relationship, none of that is, is God's will in the right. first place. Pastor it's Andrew, just all you sinful. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to chime in. I think this is actually what Luther is getting at with one of his most abused quotes that he has. Um, you know, the Luther quote, sin boldly, right? I, this is where he's going. If we were to actually sit down and try to weigh out and measure every action and thing that we're going to do so that we're not sinning, in a sense, we would end up being completely paralyzed. We would just stop living. And so Luther's encouragement to us there, if I'm getting the quote correct, is that we would sin boldly simply means live, actually do something. And look, we can we can repent. We can ask for forgiveness from the Lord, um, but we can't just not function. You know, if it's in your hands, the only way to stop sinning is to stop living, as you just said. And by the way, uh, murder is a sin. <laughs> or Jesus said, if it's in your hands and your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. That's, that wasn't an allegory. That wasn't a metaphor. He was saying, look, if your sin is such that your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Unfortunately, that doesn't actually solve my sin problem. Because <laughs> I was going to say, Pastor Andrews, the whole sitting there paralyzed well, now I'm not loving my neighbor because I'm not serving him. So I'm still <laughs> right. sinning. He's, he's that's still sinning. Look, look how we softened yeah. even that law. Even, 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 your, even that in law your paralysis. Yeah, yep. even, even that law, we softened it. And we made it a little bit easier in, in a way. We didn't go all the way to, look, even in your paralysis of doing nothing, you're now not loving your neighbor. It, yeah. it, it kills you. <laughs> there well, is this, is, this is why I was so glad that on Tuesday night you all brought up the Sermon on the Mount. 
I mean, it, it's backwards for our typical Lutheran sermon where we start with the law and we finish with the gospel. Uh, Jesus starts with the gospel, with the Beatitudes, and then he just goes off on the law. He'll take each, he, he just starts going with the commandments and saying, you've heard this. Uh, let me tell you what it really means. And he takes something so simple that, yeah, I've never murdered anybody. And he takes it to a whole nother level that we've all failed. And he, he just goes through the list and he just nails them. I mean, we cannot keep the law. That's Matthew chapter 5 to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and most of it is law. It's it's showing us that we simply cannot do it. So I was glad that came up Tuesday. It was worth saying again tonight. Yeah. And even then, Jesus starts at the cross. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who receive mercy. And, and he starts with the blessings. He starts with this inclusion into the people of God. And so Jesus is already, to keep using the same words, he's already on the other side of the cross. And, and he starts there. And then you see this continual cycle of repentance and faith continuing to come around again and again. Um, you think that you're okay. You think that you can revert to a, a, a pre-cross law. No, here's how bad the law is. You need the law to continue to remind you who you are and whose you are. Because every time it drives you back to the cross and to who Jesus is. And I think that's really important. And it also kind of around for me, this idea, will who we are in Christ ever end? I mean, uh, I had a professor in seminary who, who would uh, beat at this a little bit, but, but kind of his question was always, what are you going to do in the resurrection? I remember his answer. I know my answer, but it kind of gets me thinking, what does the resurrection look like for Christians? Are we supposed to answer that? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I just go ahead. <laughs> well, anyway, I want to say something. <laughs> <laughs> Glory, beautiful. That's what it looks like in there. <laughs> Harps sitting on a cloud somewhere. No, no. What? Uh, what? Farming. Hallmark is wrong. Well, Christ is the center of it all. So. You know, um, but I I think that, you know, going back to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, um, I think this is also a perfect thing for this discussion. And I'm surprised now that we hadn't brought it up before because so much of of American Christianity gets this so backwards um, because they view the Beatitudes as law. Yeah. Uh, these are statements. Uh, these are conditional statements of what we are supposed to do. Uh, but no, you're getting it wrong. Jesus is telling you who you are in him. Um, and it is the fact that, that he is about to go into this law that absolutely kills us. But as both pastor ill and pastor Andrew are saying, it's, you know, it's the cycle. He, he preaches it backwards because we would be absolutely killed, but it circles back because in the Beatitudes, the way he enters through this is the gospel and tells us who we are. And so as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, in order to not be just completely obliterated, we have to keep going back to the gospel and remembering who we are in the Beatitudes, because otherwise we have no hope. 
Yeah. We, there's nothing but despair for us. And anybody who can listen to the Sermon on the Mount and say, I I'm got good. it. Yeah, I'm good. I, oh, yeah. You are so, he who says he is without sin, um, you know, you deceive, you are deceiving yourselves. Uh, but it's so beautiful because, yes, Christ gives this law, but he also gives it in this new, um, in the understanding of we are his friends, not his servants. And he anchors it in the gospel for us to always go back to the gospel, not uh, blessed are those if you thirst for righteousness, um, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah. It is, no, you are blessed because you as a Christian who comes to my cross, who seeks mercy, who who recognizes their sin and understands that they need righteousness, that they need my righteousness. Blessed are you. You are blessed because you are mine. Um, so this cycle of, you know, we, we've tried to avoid the gospel because it's we're talking about the law, but we'll, well, we're we not trying because, to. But... Well, we're trying to focus on the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, you, you can't only talk about the law because if you only keep it to the law, we're lost. We are lost. There is no hope. Uh, but as Christians, we can enter the holy places. We can talk about the law because we know where we stand. And that is uh, not under the law, but under the cross. Yeah. And, and thanks, Pastor Roth, for bringing up that idea of the misreading um, that so much of Christianity has for that beginning section of the Beatitudes. Um, if we're actually looking at it, it's pretty easy to break that down, um, you know, if we make those blessings into laws, just take the first half and, and start saying, okay, now I got to do this. So the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, go, go, be poor in spirit. Uh, that means don't go to church anymore. Stop listening to the word. Stop partaking of the sacraments. Stop uh, reading your Bible, to go back to that earlier example. <laughs> Stop doing these things so you can inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, no, that, that's not quite what jesus was saying so good point no that means humble so i'm gonna make myself humble so i can inherit the kingdom of god even even as we're as we're talking about that we're already we're not letting it kill us i mean there 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 is gospel but i i actually at this i I believe this is actually a debate in the seminary depending on which professor you have one of them is going to say it's law and one of them is gospel and this whether it's Fort Wayne or St. Louis, I believe this is like a perennial ongoing, which is this. So I do want us to be a little bit careful with, you know, which side I know all pastors have their preferences. I don't know. I I seem to flip back and forth, but it doesn't matter what I think anyways. Um, I only want to put that out there because I do want us to be careful, at least in recognizing this, this is essentially good discussion. I mean, we could actually do a show on, Let's let's talk about this this portion of it, and maybe that should be another bonus episode later. The past, Pastor not Ill, later tonight though. For the no, not tonight. No, but Pastor Ill, I do want to get back to your, to your question because what helped me actually begin to better understand the law and its role, its its functions, is actually the question you asked, which was in heaven. What are we going to be doing? Actually, it was in the resurrection. In the resurrection? Okay. Same Paradise. Thing. Either way, I'm going up, right? Are you? It's somewhere. 
That's why I corrected you. I'm, I'm baptized, so yes, I'm going up. Well, new, new creation, Peter. I mean, new heaven and a new earth, right? No, 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 no. It's up. Okay, it's up. Peter, you just made me take off my glasses. <laughs> okay, um, but but the, the whole this whole idea that if if the law is God's will for your life, God's will does not change. God's will is eternal. The law itself is eternal. So what am I going to be doing in the resurrection? What am I going to be doing in heaven? Up. <laughs> I, God's will. I'm, I'm going to be doing his will. The, the Ten Commandments, as we look at them specifically, the, the only difference between right now and in the new heavens and the new earth is that I'll actually do them. I'll actually do them perfectly and completely and keep them without sin that's that's what i'm going to be doing i don't know what you guys are going to be doing i think pastor andrews you said you're going to be farming i don't know how that fits but well know. i was i was pairing that with what you're saying actually i mean the per, the picture of perfection we have in scripture is the garden of eden where adam and eve were given the creation to care for uh the plants the animals to tend for and and, and to care for them as best they could and um, so when we talk about, you know, paradise and, and life with Christ that never ends and actually doing the things God has given us to do, I, in short, marriage and, and children, because Jesus tells the Sadducees that those things uh, will not be part of of the, the life everlasting. There will be no giving in marriage. Um, short that, though, the garden might just be our best picture of what what it's going to look like. I mean, we don't we don't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, and the reason I kind of avoided that at first was uh, because the first thing that popped in my head is my my answer that I usually give, uh, which is only half joking. Uh, I look forward to wrestling tigers in the new heavens and the newer. <laughs> I look forward to the Cardinals not being a thing. See, I, I look don't. forward to a zero turn lawnmower, guys. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> overthinking all this. Um, <laughs> See, one of the things that I want to really do really bad, and by wrestling, I mean more, you know, snuggling and play fighting. Um, <laughs> but my wife won't let me do it because she said, I know Pastor Ill is giving me this look. All of you can't see it, but I can. Um, <laughs> I just really want to wrestle a tiger. And my wife won't let me do it because she says, you'll end up dead. So <laughs> I figure my best shot for wrestling a tiger is in the new heavens and the new earth. Your baby wife is so, your wife you is might so survive a baby tiger. <laughs> um, Pastor Roth, I know some really excellent people who can probably uh, do some talk therapy, maybe a little bit with some pharmaceuticals. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard anybody say that before. I can't, I can't breathe. <laughs> this is great for video, but people are yeah. going to be um, so well. You know, there's there's but, nothing wrong now with rolling around and wrestling with your dog. So yeah, go for it, Pastor Roth. Have your dream. Get a bull mastiff. Get a bull mastiff. They're they're pretty huge. That's a start. And large. Oh, I go. want a big dog. We don't have a dog yet, but I want a big dog. <laughs> so nothing to do with the law. So in the resurrection, what does God's will look like, though? Like, I mean, because that's really what that, that's really the question I'm trying to drive at. <laughs> oh, not wrestling with tigers. Well, I don't know. Convince me. <laughs> well, I figured the tigers, lion and the lamb will lie down together. Yeah. And tigers, tigers will we need exercise. Exactly. 
So we will live in all holiness and righteousness and blessing. And and part of the reason I'm joking around to, to be serious uh, for a moment, part of the reason I'm joking around is because, you know, I can't, I can't fathom what it is going to be like because I know it is going to, uh, will be in pure bliss uh, because there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more disease. Um, and I just, I can't fathom a world without sin. Yeah. So I and, struggle answering that question because I, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, I think I'll, I'll be in the presence of Christ, but if reading the Bible all day is, is a righteous thing to do, Psalm 119, loving God's word, you know, immersing myself in it. Well, in the new heavens, the new earth, I'll actually love doing that all day. I mean, I don't know if we'll actually have Bibles or, you know, we're there with yeah, Christ himself if we'll need it. We'll, well I know the that's word. the point. Yeah, the I, I won't, I won't, exactly. I won't need to, but the point being this thing that right now where that's, you know, where he comes to me through his word, that's all I've got right now in that sense. I, I'll actually truly love that. I, I will I will keep the Sabbath, and I will love keeping the Sabbath. I, I will um, honor my father and mother perfectly, and I'll love doing it. I'll actually enjoy it. Now, I, I may, as a Christian, experience moments where it's like, I, I liked serving my neighbor. I liked worshiping God. That, I, that was enjoyable. But even those moments are, are corrupted by my own sin in, in one way or another. But I, I think this is, we, we don't, maybe this is the way of putting it, as Lutherans, we don't talk about it this way enough, where I actually like doing this. You know, if, if I were to encounter a friend and I'm, they're asking questions about the faith, and I get to confess Christ to them and share the gospel with them, and I actually like doing it. That's, that's a good thing. We should encourage that. We should, we should say, yes, you're a Christian. That's a good thing. You should love that. And, and the converse of that would be, you're a Christian. Why are you doing this thing over here? You know, Romans 6, Pastor Ill, I think, was the one who brought up Romans 6. What we didn't talk about is, you are dead to sin. We didn't get that far in the passage. You're dead to sin. Why? Stop doing this. You're dead. That's death. Why are you going back to death? Why, why do you do that? <laughs> I mean, this, we've now moved the conversation to the other side of the cross. We, we are baptized into Christ, buried with him in his death, raised with him in his resurrection. We are dead to sin. It is perfectly good for us to talk to each other as Christians about that and what that looks like and to challenge each other and say, hey, this thing you're doing, I don't know if that fits with you being a Christian. Let's talk about it. Does, is this actually... A, a good thing for you? Is this God's will? Is this really what God wants you to be doing? Um, as opposed to, is it a sin? Is it not a sin? Well, that's just your opinion. You're a pietist. You're a legalist. I mean, we, we tend to, that's where we end up going with it. You're going um, to hell because of XYZ. Yeah. It, or, you're not really or you're a Christian not, because of XYZ. Yeah. So we, we go that direction with it instead of, I don't know, we're all Christians. Let's talk about how we live this Christian life together right now and actually exhort each other towards good works without making our salvation dependent on it. We always, maybe this is the problem, whenever we talk about this, people assume 
automatically, oh, you're questioning it, I'm a Christian or not. No, I, I don't know how how much do you enjoy doing this thing and refuse to stop. Maybe I need to, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we we got to wrap up here because I know Pastor Ill needs to go to bed. Um, he's supposed he's, to get about ten minutes ago. It's yeah, man. No, no, no. We're four minutes. We're only four minutes over. <laughs> I'm still an old man. I'm about to collapse. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so final thoughts. Let's maybe that's we can wrap it up with that. Give me your final thoughts on on that or like the show itself. If you don't like anything I said, that's fine too. <laughs> well, uh, I can start. Uh, the law of God is good and wise, as the old hymn says. Um, it was meant for our our betterment, so that we would be able to live together as a community. Um, however, we failed. It shows us our need for our Savior. Uh, we are dead to to that. Because of the law, we are dead, we are, we're killed, um, but we have Christ, and we rejoice at that. Our sins are forgiven, and we have life in his name. Pastor Roth, we're going to give Pastor Ill the final word this time. It'll keep him, <laughs> that, that's, that's how keep him awake through the rest of the episode, but you got to have the last word. I tried to keep it short for him. <laughs> Well, as you were as you were talking about, you know, going back to Romans six, and you said um, we're dead to sin, and my mind just finished finished that sentence. Uh, are, we're dead to sin because we're alive to the law. No, we're dead to sin because we're alive to Christ. We're alive mm-hmm. in Christ. Um, and when we want to start playing the law game, uh, no one wins. No person is without sin. Um, we are incapable, and I'm I'm actually surprised we never touched on this topic. Uh, but that could be in a whole episode in itself. But uh, free will, um, my will is bound one way or another. It is bound either to Christ, and if it's not bound to Christ, it's bound to sin. Um, and before we are saved by grace, uh, before we have the waters of baptism pour over us before we hear the life-giving words of, of God's word. Um, we are slaves to sin. There is no escaping it. There is only but one escape from sin. And that is through Christ, our Lord, nothing I can do, no game that I can play, no matter how much I try to soften the law, no matter how much I try to justify myself according to the law. Um, I am without Christ. I am nothing but a condemned sinner that deserves nothing but eternal death and damnation. And there is no getting around that. The only hope we have is from outside of us. And that is Christ and his cross and resurrection and, hey, ascension to the throne um, where he now stands as our own high priest. That's, that's the only hope we have. That's the only hope we've got. Amen. Pastor Hill. At the end of the day, as uncomfortable as it makes us, we need the law because it's the law that condemns us unto death and it's the law that kills us. It is the law that points out our need for Christ and that no amount of piety, no amount of looking for loopholes is ever going to get us out from under the law. And we'd really, really like to. That, that becomes the goal of sinners is trying to get out from under the law. The only one, though, who gets us out from under the law is Christ. 
and it is in Christ that our eternal life has already begun. Um, in part, I kind of asked the eternal life question because we are already now living in the holiness of Christ on this side of, of death and resurrection or of what looks like death and resurrection. We're already past it because we have died and been raised with Christ. We are already living that Christian life now. Um, and we have that gift set up for us. And so uh, what will we do in the resurrection? Well, I can't give you the specifics. I can give you the short answers of it. And the short answer is we will be living and loving and serving Christ because we are the resurrected Christians who belong to him. And so uh, while I can't imagine exactly how that's going to look, it's going to have a function very similar to the function we're having now. And that is really something to look forward to and something that I'm pretty doggone excited about. Um, but I think that that's something that uh, uh, probably is going to need to wait for another episode. Too. Well, thank you, pastors, for joining us. We, we, can, we, we can love the law because if the law doesn't kill us, the gospel can't resurrect us. And I think that's that's one way of summing up everything we've talked here tonight. This has been uh, Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. Tonight, we hope you are doing a better job of thinking about the law, in particular, learning how to ask better questions about the law and about our own sin and how we grapple with this. If you are in the on Facebook, join us in the Grok Moot. The link is down below. We would love to continue this discussion with you there because there is so much more that we can talk about. There's so much more in scripture that we can point you to where we can encourage each other and exhort each other. That is why the Grok Mood exists, so that we can encourage you in the faith uh, and, and walk with you as we struggle together, um, struggle in our concupiscence, but rejoice in what Christ has done because of that. So thank you for joining us tonight on this special bonus episode of Crucial Conversations. Thank you, pastors, for being willing to take additional time out of your week to join us for this. I think, especially after Ascension services, some of, some of you, I don't know if all of you were, had Ascension services, so you're doing this in addition to um, other stuff like that. So once again, thank you all for joining us. Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, all that great stuff, and we will see you next Tuesday where Pastor Ill joins me with Pastor Golden, my own pastor, is going to be on Crucial Conversations, and we talk about more of the commandments. We're really going to hammer the law that week. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, we're going to go through like four whole commandments, seven through ten. We're going to finish it up there. So join us next Tuesday and join us in the Grok Moot. Thank you all. Have a wonderful night.